Well, who among us is ready to get into the Word of God this morning? Would you say amen? Well, if that's you, take a copy of God's Word. We're in the letter of James again this morning, near the back of your New Testament. If you go to Revelation, you've gone too far, but not too far. Hang a left and come back just a couple of short books and you'll be with us in the letter of James. If you need a pew Bible, it's page 950, where we are this morning, 950. Or you can take your electronic device and power it up. And on your electronic Bible, you'll get right where we are without having to actually flip a page. And we're loving our study in this wonderful uh, letter of admonition that just seems to contain one command for the people of God after another. If you want somebody to just tell you what to do in your Christian walk, James is the preacher for you. Because that's about all he does in his letter is issue one running command after another. He tells us how to live in order to obey the word of God and how to live in order to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, let me just say welcome to everybody in the room today, especially our guests. We're so grateful that you're here today. And I pray that God uh, has blessed you already this morning through these powerful songs that we're so thankful for. And thank you, Brian Davis. Uh, for stepping in for Brad, who's vacationing uh, this weekend with his family. And we look forward to seeing him again uh, here this week when they return. Hopefully they've had a very restful time away. Uh, It's good to be with you today, and it's good to be with those of you who are with us uh, online. Speaking of admonitions, uh, one of the things that James speaks frequently about in his letter, if you go back to our introduction of James several weeks ago, we talked about five major areas that James tends to focus on in somewhat of a haphazard fashion where he will speak to an issue and then go to another issue and then a little bit later come back to an issue and and deal with it. Uh, And we're going to see this morning that um, one of those subjects that James deals with in this way that he will return to again more than once throughout the rest of the letter deals with how we use words, how we use our speech. Probably the greatest and most significant New Testament passage on what we know as the tongue is in the third chapter of James, which we'll get to eventually. But I want us to look here in just a moment at two simple verses today that kind of set the stage for some of the things that James is going to talk about with respect to how believers who have been born again by and through the word of God, uh, are uh, to conduct themselves in terms of the way they use their mouth and the way they react to others in terms of how others tend to use their mouths as well. Uh, If there's a phrase that defines much of American life today, um, it's a phrase that we don't really like all that much, but it's very appropriate for what James is going to talk about today, and it is the phrase, hurry up and wait. You ever used that phrase before? How many of you like it when you have to do that? Yeah, right, not very many of us, right? Whether it applies to the doctor's office, you better get there on time or we're going to charge you a fee, and then you get there and you have to wait 40 hours to see the doctor sometimes, not always, but sometimes. Same is true with your, perhaps your auto mechanic where you're in a real hurry, you gotta have that car, you're dependent on that car, and he says, oh, we ought to have it back by the end of the day, and three days later, you're still waiting for it. Hurry up and wait. We experience it every time, just about, unless you're a real seasoned vacationer to Walt Disney, 
which I'm not. So when I go there, I bust it to the line, get there as quick as I know how to get there, only to wait about an hour, hour and a half for a ride that takes about 30 seconds. Can I have an amen this morning? I mean, hurry up and wait. Uh, We've kind of gotten accustomed to that in the United States of America, but we don't like it when we have to do it. Kind of applies to church sometimes. You beat it to get here and that preacher just won't shut up. He goes on and on and on and on, making me wait for lunch. I did a conference for pastors and wives this weekend in the West region of the Florida Baptist Convention. And Judy and I kind of did a presentation together on enduring through the ministry at home. And it was really fun. We had a good time. But I I was the speaker before the lunchtime hour. And I remarked to the group there today, I said, this is a lot like doing 11 o'clock church, you know, on Sunday morning. The only difference there was while I was speaking, they were actually bringing the food into the banquet room where we were having the meeting. And I said, we will never do that at Hillcrest. We're done if the food actually comes into the room. We're not gonna make you wait too long this morning because our text is only two verses long, but there's a lot that we can chew on in these two verses that pertains specifically for born-again believers concerning the words we use and how we use them, our words and our reactions to the words of others as it relates to those in our families, in our churches, and in our role as gospel witnesses. I'm just telling you, if y'all wanna be a witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you want the Lord to use you to be a conduit of the gospel so that it's heard and potentially responded to in the lives of others, you better pay attention to the words you use and, and the way in which you use them because if you're flippant with this particular area, it can compromise your gospel witness and your relationships with others. James says it this way, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's short enough. I think we can just say both those verses out loud together. And so as they put them back on the screen, let's recite it together. Ready? Together. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be slow and slow For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How we use our mouths and the importance of applying wisdom, the wisdom that James has already taught us to pray to God for when we lack it, uh, is a very important theme in the book of James. This is his first foray into the subject, but he's by far not gonna be done with it. He'll come back to it in just a little bit, and so will we as we journey through this letter over the next uh, few weeks. James is well aware, as are many other biblical writers that also deal with this subject, uh, that the tongue is an instrument of incredible power. And that'll be his point when we get to chapter three. The tongue is a small instrument of the body, But as small as it is, it may be the most powerful instrument uh, in the body of all. The same tongue that encourages and blesses and praises is the same tongue that abuses and manipulates and deceives. And so the tongue can be an instrument of strength or it can be a double weakness. And it all depends on how you use it and how surrendered 
your tongue is to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And it's the idea, particularly here, of learning to restrain your words and learning to restrain your responses to the words of others that's at the heart of this statement. This is one of the many statements in James that sounds very much like a, Proverbs, a proverb. And we're gonna be looking at a couple of Proverbs as supporting scriptures today. But James is a very wisdom-oriented book and there are many times where he sounds like he's writing the book of Proverbs all over again. And we could lift these verses right out of James chapter one, James 1, 19 and 20, and we, can, we could um, replace them or plant them or transplant them, that's the word I'm looking for. We could transplant them into the book of Proverbs and we would think that Solomon had written them himself. So this idea of learning to restrain your words and learning to restrain your responses to the words of others is what the, what's at the heart of this very important statement. He begins by using an, a stylistic device, much like Jesus often did, that's designed to get the attention of his audience. When Jesus wanted you to sit up and listen up, he would say in the King James, verily, verily, I say unto you. Or as it's translated in more modern translations, truly, truly, I say unto you. The stylistic device that James uses here is the simple, know this. You better know this, uh, which is just another way of saying, listen up. Take note, because what I'm getting ready to say is very important. And indeed, what he says next involves a sort of spiritualized version of the principle of hurry up and wait. James is, I mean, we recited just together a moment ago three very distinct phrases here. But if you notice them closely, the first of those phrases is the hurry up part. And the next two is the wait part, the slow down part, the consider aspect. James wants us to be quick in one area, and then he wants us to be intentionally deliberate in the other two. So let's look at them one at a time this morning. The first is this emphasis on listening. Now, I know I got a room full of fantastically great listeners. Can I have an amen from the wives this morning? My husband's the best listener in America, man. No, because the tongue can also lie. Can I have an amen today? So I know we've all got some growing up to do when it comes to this area of, of listeners. Preachers, I may come as a shock to you, but preachers by nature tend not to be very good listeners. God gives us to get it out, right? Counselors are good listeners, which is why most preachers are not the best counselors in the world because we're prophetic types, you know? I wanna stop somebody in the middle of their uh, unpacking of a problem and just say, hey, here's the deal. I got three things you need to do. Do them starting tomorrow, and they all begin with the letter D, amen, right? Now put your big boy pants on, and life is hard. Let's get with it, you know? But a counselor will sit there and listen, you know, and I've had to train myself to be a better listener. And I'm a pretty good listener today. Uh, Longevity in marriage depends on it. I mean, it just does. Because nowhere on a man's top 10 most uh, needed things out of his wife is listening. It's not on his list. But it's up there among the top two or three of just about every woman I know. I get home in the, at the end of the day after having spent an entire day doing nothing but talking and listening and the last thing that I want to do when I get home is do more talking and do more listening. What does Judy want to do when I get home? 
talk and listen. That's right. And I, listen, that's not a natural thing for me. I've had to train myself to do that. And it's the first thing I do. I mean, I just plan it in there. First 30 minutes at home or sometimes the first three hours at home, uh, depending on the day, right? Is learning how to listen. It's so very important. Let every person be quick to hear. The NIV actually uses the word listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. And why is that important? Because we learn more by listening than we do by talking. Nobody ever learned anything by talking all the time. Uh, There's a reason, and somebody just said this to me at a funeral this past week, not having a clue what I was gonna preach. This woman, I was greeting people at a funeral, and the woman was chiding her husband because he was talking to me too much, and she looked up at him, and she said, there's a reason God gave us one tongue and two ears. And I thought, well, that's what I was gonna say Sunday, because it's true. We need to listen twice as much, typically, as we talk, but most of us are not very good at that. Most of us have a real problem with listening, and apparently that was true in the early church, or James wouldn't have been telling his church to do it. I mean, they're scattered out. They're not even contained together anymore. They've scattered out uh, throughout the larger region because of persecution. But evidently, James is writing this letter to a community that's not only not together, they're not together. And you can be not together even when you're together. And so he says later on in chapter four, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Selfishness. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. He's using that euphemistically. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I mean, the emphasis there is just on the self. And when we talk more than we listen, does that not in and of itself demonstrate a personality that's more bent to self than the other person? Especially when you're sitting there and the other person is trying to pour something out to you and you're not even listening. You're formulating the next thing you're planning to say in response to that. And so when we talk a lot and listen a little, it kind of demonstrates that we're just more concerned about us than we tend to be about other people. And this is how a lot of disagreements get started. Selfishness, a lack of understanding, and misunderstanding almost always results in a breakdown in communication. You're not gonna hear and you're not gonna understand very much if you spend most of your time talking And that's why James says that we need to be quick to hear. Formulaically, he's saying, open your ears so that you can understand what's going on in the lives of others because we don't often understand deeply how we can be a blessing to other people. And the only way we can do that is by opening up our ears and being willing not only to hear, but to hear at the deepest level which of course leads to understanding. Now James doesn't define here any more than he defined what the good and perfect gifts that were from above are. He doesn't define exactly what it is that we're supposed to be listening to or listening for. But I think that we can surmise at least a couple of things. Don't you think that for those of us who've been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, that it's very important for us to learn to listen to God, I think spiritual listening is very important for all of us. Uh, 
Even when we find ourselves growing in prayer, 99 and 44 one hundredths percent of our prayer life may be what we're spewing out to God and virtually no time building in to hearing from God. But can I remind everyone today that prayer is not one-way communication with the Lord. It's two-way communication with the Lord. And so when James says, be quick to hear, I don't understand how he could not at the forefront be thinking first and foremost about our ability and our willingness to listen to what God has to say to us. And the way that we do that fundamentally, I mean, obviously we listen to God by his spirit, but this is part of the reason God has given us this book. Would you agree with me this morning? This is the word of God, amen. I mean, God is a communicating God. And there may be times that he shows up in a panoramic, panavision, colorified vision right in front of you and speaks audibly to you. I would never discount God couldn't do that, but most of the time, what God has to say to you, he's already said it. And it's right here. And this is why we need to read the word. This is why we need to know the word. This is why James is gonna say in chapter two, be doers of the word. How are you gonna be a doer of the word? If you're not listening to the word, you can't be a doer of the word if you don't know the word and are not willing to listen to the word. People tell me all the time how much difficulty they seem to have getting connected to the Bible and hearing from God. Let me tell you, God made you with a brain. How many of you have a brain? Would you say amen? You can hear from God. You can hear from God. You can talk to God. You can listen to God. You know what most people's problem is? They're just too busy. You're just too much in a hurry all the time. You got too much to do. You wake up and you gotta immediately attack that to-do list and if you don't have a to-do list, you gotta immediately write one. And then the minute you write it, you start thinking about it and then you start getting the shakes because you're not immediately diving into it and getting it done. And in the process of all of this stuff that we have to get done, the one thing that a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ has to get done doesn't get done. You don't spend any time getting to know the Lord just a little bit better. No time to listen. Oh, you might read through a little paragraph in the Bible, maybe even an entire chapter in the Bible, but you don't take time to focus on it. You don't take time to linger over it for just a few minutes. Try to apply it in your life and so there's really not much hearing, at least not at the deep level, which is understanding. And so you've got to be careful about having your mind cluttered with all of these activities and all these to-dos about your life, the life of your kids, and run, run, gun, gun, listen, we did it. Judy and I did it with kids from the time they were <clears throat> preschoolers, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse, and we loved every minute of it. But God is easy to get crowded out. And listen, if it's easy for the Lord to get crowded out in the life of a preacher, I, I, I just know it's easy for the Lord to get crowded out in your life as well. And so we need to build in time to be quick to hear from the Lord. And that, of course, means engaging God in his word. But more likely, James is even more focused in our learning to listen more effectively to one another. 
particularly within the body of Christ. And that's why I read what I did earlier from chapter four, because evidently there were problems in this scattered Jerusalem church. And you know, when churches or, or personal relationships within churches fracture, and there are times where there's division even among the body of Christ, as sad a statement as that is. I mean, of all people in the world, we ought to be the most united. We ought to be the most together. But we all know stories about relationships in churches fracturing over all kinds of different things. Theological, political, personal, habitual, social, even moral sometimes. Great debate. Sometimes when you don't see things like I see them and I don't see things like you see them, we allow those things, which are never primary, they're always secondary, they're always tangential issues that are really not eternal issues. We allow them to fracture our friendships in the Lord. Man, that is always such a tragedy. And it sends a terrible signal to our community. See, our community is messed up. Every community is messed up. And what they want from a spiritual perspective is a peaceful haven of rest. You know, they want a place that they can come and get away from the hell on earth that they're experiencing. And what a tragedy when people come into a, a given church and they find hell on earth inside the church, which do happen too much, quite frankly. And so we have to learn how to manage this stuff and it all begins with understanding which requires listening. When relationships fracture, this is where it usually began. It's over misunderstanding. Misunderstandings will kill relationships. And rather than going and trying to resolve the issue, we'll just get on social media and post about the issue and be passive aggressive about it. Won't name any names, but we'll make ourselves feel better and then people get a hold of that and it starts going around and around and around and you can say all you want, well, I didn't name any names. They're going to know it. They're going to know it. They're going to find out about it, and then the whole thing's going to mushroom before it's all said and done. Now, I'm, I mean, listen, I've been on social media soapbox for five years. And uh, I, because everybody's got it, their own soapbox on social media. And you know what social media's done? It's created a forum that has worsened what existed even before the forum where everybody's talking and nobody's, nobody, everybody's talking and nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. And when we fail to listen, we usually lack understanding. And where there's no understanding, what happens is we make judgments. And we tend to make judgments without having all the facts and the relationship will suffer, sometimes even irreparable harm. And that should never happen, it should never happen. It should never happen inside a community of faith because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. By profession, we carry a common Holy Spirit and brothers and sisters need to open our ears and be quick to hear our Lord and be quick to hear one another so that we can live in mutual understanding, mutual encouragement, and mutual support. 
Paul will say in Ephesians chapter four, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. Almost nobody uses social media in that way. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Y'all ever read unwholesome talk on social media? But only what is helpful, is there helpful stuff on social media? Eh, maybe sometimes, but, but not the majority of time. For building others up, no, it's usually tearing each other down. According to their need that it may benefit them, no. What we usually write benefits us. It usually makes us feel better. We're really not thinking about what's in the best interest of somebody else, usually. And so James begins right here. Let everyone be quick to hear. Secondly, he would encourage us to think and then parenthetically to pray, not just to think, but to pray before you speak. Think and pray before you speak. And I like that because those two things are designed as slow down mechanisms. See, this is the beauty of prayer. You know why we need to pray? The Bible says pray without what? You know why? Because it slows you down. It slows you down. And when you get slowed down and begin to talk to God, it necessarily slows down the response time. And that slowdown actually helps to calm you down. Let every person, as we'll see in a minute, let every person, verse 19, be quick to hear. And then what's the next phrase? Slow to Slow to speak, that's right. And you know, I don't have to tell y'all, we talk a lot. I'm a preacher, I have the gift of gab. Uh, and most of y'all do too, for the most part. We, we talk a lot, and that's not a bad thing. I've been told the average person speaks enough words in one year to fill 60 1,000 page books. 60 1,000 page books, that's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. And so we know how to talk. We use words a lot. We speak them constantly. We post them constantly. But they're not always helpful. I love the story that was told about Winston Churchill, who was known for his acerbic wit anyway, and he was having a conversation with Lady Astor one day at a dinner party. And those two, there was no love loss between Churchill and Lady Astor. They did not like one another, and they both were very sharp-tongued, barbed-tongued, quick-witted, and they were having a discussion politically. And during this period, Churchill was kind of in his wilderness years anyway, where very few people actually liked him. And they were having this political discussion. This is like in the 1930s, late 1930s. And Lady Astor looked at him one time and she said, Mr. Churchill, if I were your wife, I would put arsenic in your tea. And without even thinking, he looked back at her and he said, lady, if you were my wife, I would quickly drink it. <laughs> there was no love loss. But that's not the, I mean, when you're walking closely with the Lord Jesus Christ, um, that really is not what I would call a Christ-like way to respond. Slow to speak. Because it's stuff like that that you tend to say when you're not slow to speak. 
Proverbs 13 and verse three. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to what? Say it out loud. Comes to ruin. So there is value in guarding our lips. It's interesting to do a little chain study on the word guard. Uh, Solomon will say in Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else. I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty lofty language. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. One translation says, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do, including your mouth. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks, that's right. So stand guard over your heart. Well, in another proverb, James says, not only stand guard over your heart, but post another one over your mouth. You know, this is like the picture of the uh, apostle Peter who was in prison in Acts chapter 12. And the Bible says he was guarded as a solitary prisoner by four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 soldiers rotating 24 hours a day around the clock, four at a time, two of them at the door, two of them inside the cell with Peter. Now, this is for a street preacher. I mean, we're not talking about a domestic terrorist here who's got an atomic code. I mean, this is a street preacher. Four squads of four soldiers each. And what's interesting about that, I think if the biblical writers were here, they would say, you know what? When it comes to how you use words, that's the kind of overkill you probably should apply to yourself. Put two over your heart and put another two over your mouth. Slow down. Proverbs 21, 23 is another example. Whoever keeps his mouth, one translation will use the word guard. Whoever guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of what? Trouble. That's right. That's cry. I mean, you don't have to walk something back that you never said. You don't have to clean up a mess that was caused by your words if, you'd ever, if you never said the words. I mean, that's just the spiritual principle. The less said, the better, which is just true. But that's not easy in our role where we talk all the time. It's harder. It takes a lot more effort to use fewer words than many words. You all know quite well, it is much harder to preach a short sermon than a long sermon. It's easy to preach a long sermon. You just get us up here, wind us up, get us started. And we could still be going three hours later. I've been to churches in Russia where the worship service went three hours. It takes more discipline to be brief. It takes more discipline to write a short novel than a long novel. It takes more discipline to write a short essay than a long essay, to give a short speech than it does to give a, a long speech. You know, the thing, talking about social media, the thing I liked about Twitter when it first came out several years ago is that it had a, an imposed 140 character limit, right? Not 140 words, which is pretty brief, but 140 characters. Now you can go on Facebook and write a book, which is what I didn't like about Facebook, which is why I said, this ain't for me. Because I don't care about reading somebody else's post that's four chapters long. But now Twitter was cool. 140 characters, right? Just you gotta get with it, move on. And I loved that. 
And then after a while, people carped about it enough because they didn't have the discipline to know how to post something in 140 characters that made any sense to them. They expanded it to 280 characters. And I thought, oh no, here we go. I knew what was gonna happen. So now it was 140, then it went to 280, and I thought, well, it's still not too bad. Well, then they opened up the procedure known as a thread where you could post unlimited numbers of 280 character posts and end up writing a four chapter book. And I said, this is no different than Facebook. I am done with this, right? And I hardly ever go on there anymore. And now about the only thing I do is Instagram. And I sound like I'm in kindergarten again, right? Because all those wonderful pictures, a picture paints a thousand words. But everybody loves pictures. We, we, we can't be brief. And we find it a tremendous challenge. But there's no question the Bible does teach you need to guard the words that you say. Didn't we say that in Ecclesiastes? Let your words be few. I didn't even have that in my notes. It just came to my mind. Thank you, Jesus. That's what the Bible says. Let your words be few. Because once you speak them, you know, Andy Griffith used to do that deal. Let me just, let me reel that back in. But you can't do that. It's out, right? I've told my kids, especially in an age where everything's out on the web and people are just built to get it out there, I've tried to train them. You don't have to explain something that you never said. And here's the thing. Everything that you say electronically or digitally is kept by somebody somewhere. See, you could make an argument that the things that you say digitally never go away. You know why? Because they never go away. They never go away. Man, if they never go away, somebody can probably find them. Somewhere. Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying you should never speak. Did y'all hear me say amen? I'm not saying you should never sometimes speak forcefully. I'm not saying that there are times that you should not be aggressive when you speak. I'm just saying the Bible teaches build in some kind of delay before you do it. Think before you speak. Engage your mind before you engage your mouth because we kind of have this tendency to talk too much. And we have this tendency to say the wrong thing at the wrong time with the wrong tone and the wrong tact. Across the years, people have come up, come up to me. I've pastored, well, I've pastored two churches and was on staff in another church. And I've had angry people say stuff to me under the roof of the house of the Lord. And I'm thinking, man, if you'll say that to me in here, I wonder how you talk to your husband. I wonder how you talk to your wife. How do you talk to your kids? If you'll say that to a God-called person in God's house, how do you treat the server at the Cracker Barrel? I'd like to be a fly on the wall. No, I probably wouldn't because it probably wouldn't be good. Y'all hanging with me this morning? Amen. Proverbs 10 and 19. I told you there's a lot of Proverbs. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. In fact, let's just say that together. 
together. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is what? Prudent, that's right. Or Proverbs 17, 27, 28. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. In other words, that's a person that gets it. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise when he closes his lips. He is deemed intelligent. I learned it when I was a kid. A wise old owl sat in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Oh, to be like that wise old bird. That's a good place for an amen. Open your ears. Think and pray before you speak. And then finally, with respect to our reactions to the speech of others, reflect before you react. Again, this is where delay is important. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, or as the New International Version renders it, Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Are y'all aware that we're kind of in the, midst, uh, in the midst of an anger epidemic in the United States of America? 350 million angry birds right now from coast to coast, including Alaska and Hawaii. Or as my grandmother would say, how are you, right? <laughs> Lots of angry birds. Um, you know what the greatest, you know what the greatest oxymoron, you know what an oxymoron is, or two words put together that cancel each other out. You know what the number one, in my opinion, the number one oxymoron in America is today? Peaceful protest. <laughs> Peaceful protest. <laughs> it's like they, that doesn't even exist anymore because we're just an angry culture a culture that's filled with rage, right? In fact, have you all noticed all of the different kinds of rages that sociologists have articulated? Road rage. How many times have I told you a different illustration about people honking at me in traffic when I hadn't done anything, but you know, I just hadn't gunned it fast enough, right? And I think since last Sunday, I've had four or five honking their horns at me, and I'm just praying the whole time my church not going to read about me in the newspaper, you know, one day because I've just had it up to here with these people that are blowing horns for no reason at all. There's a reason I don't live in New York City. I don't want to hear those horns blowing all the time. There's no need. Road rage, biker rage, parent sports rage, airplane rage. I mean, that's huge right now. They're, they're fights that break out on airplanes every day. I mean, uh, flight attendant union, they're saying, you know, we want hazardous duty pay to be a flight attendant. And I'm not sure they don't have much of a case uh, that they're making. School board rage. Man, you see this stuff all over the place. Rage itself has become all the rage. So what do we do about it? Well, I tell you what, when God's people react that way, somebody's not walking in the spirit of God. That much I know. Somebody's not abiding in Christ. Somebody's not being quick to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit or quick to listen to the word 
of God because the last time I checked, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness. What's that last one? Self-control. See, that's how you know the Holy Spirit is in control and that's how you know somebody's walking in the Spirit of God. These are the kinds of things they don't do, right? I mean, there's a love chapter in the Bible and when Paul starts to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13, the first, first thing that he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not rude. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It's not hard to tell who's walking in the spirit and who's not because there are biblical ways to tell. And again, I wanna be crystal clear, anger has a place. Anger, there, there are times that if you don't get angry at certain stuff, you're, you're lacking in moral integrity. Now Jesus got angry and he picked up a whip. Now I'm not sure he actually slashed anybody with it, I think he probably just cracked it a few times, but he did kick over a bunch of tables because the house of God was being desecrated. And listen, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, not this building. And so is it possible for the house of God to become desecrated by your actions? And how might that make Jesus feel? Angry, yeah. And this is why there is discipline in the life of a believer. And so sometimes those trials you may be going through could be the Lord's discipline for desecration in the house of God that comes as a result of somebody that claims the Lord but is not listening to the word of the Lord. Now God loves us too much to live in us and then be perfectly content for us to act like the world. He's not going to do that. He's going to, in his way and time, uh, engineer some kind of a turn back to himself so that we reflect in a very good way the fruit of the Spirit and the demands of love. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city. Proverbs 29 and verse 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. And again, one of the great remedies, you don't need to be given full vent to your anger. If you've got to give full vent, give it to God. Vent it to God, not to somebody else. Because by doing that, the Lord will calm you down so that you can respond in a way that's much healthier. But figure out some way to delay. I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, when angry, count to 10. You all remember that? When angry, count to 10. If still angry, count to 100. And then that's where Jefferson stopped. And if James knew what Jefferson had said, he would add to it. And if still angry, keep on counting. Long enough until you can calm down. When he was president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln would often get angry particularly as military leaders. And he would often write letters uh, in times of frustration where his anger 
<clears throat> would be crystal clear on the printed page that he would write. But Lincoln had incredible discipline in many areas of life, and whenever he would write one of those letters, he would fold it up, stick it in an envelope, and then pigeonhole it in his roll-top desk. And then the following day, he would come back to those letters that he had written and pigeonholed in a particular part of his desk. He would pull those out, and he would reread them. And scholars tell us that nine out of every ten of those letters, Lincoln never actually sent them. He would simply turn the envelope over right on the front, unsent, and then have one of his secretaries file it. And we know that because we have hundreds of hostile letters that Abraham Lincoln wrote that are in envelopes marked unsent. Y'all know anybody need to do that with their emails? You can send it to the draft folder, come back to it the next day. You know anybody needs to do that with their text messages? I don't think there's a draft folder, but you can write it and not send it. Now, let me just say that this kind of self-control, you can't work it up. It's not a matter of willpower or self-discipline, man. To live like James is telling us to live, particularly with the most powerful instrument of your body right behind your teeth, the, the most abused instrument in the body, it's not a physical response. It takes a spiritual response. It requires the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And this is why you gotta abide in the Lord. This is why you need to spend time in the word, commune with God in prayer. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. If a man abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit for apart from me, you can do what? Including control your speech. But abiding in Christ, you can do it. And so can I, because the Lord wants us to learn how to respond properly when we're angry, especially to one another within the body of Christ. Can I just say this morning, there are some hurts you just have to let go. You just have to give them to God and let God be the judge. He'll do a better job of it than you will. Trust, trust him. He'll do a better job than you will. You know why? Because he's got all the facts you don't have. And this is why he says, vengeance is mine. You let me repay, says the Lord. Listen, Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate just riddled him with one question after another. Most of us would have been responding back with all kinds of malice. And yet the biblical writers remind us that Jesus stood there before the Roman procurator and he opened up not his mouth like a sheep that was led to the slaughter. Christ remained silent. He simply gave his case to God and let God work it out in his way and in his time. This is what it means to learn to be Christ-like. Have the wisdom and have the maturity to delay. Count to 10, count to 100, go on a, line, a long drive, Go walk back and forth on the Pensacola Beach Pier 150 times, whatever you have to do to reflect before you react because this is how we build healthy relationships. This is how we build a healthy community that influences the lost by demonstrating that God's people really can live in peaceful relationships with one another. 
Well, do you have it, brothers and sisters? The spiritual principle of hurry up and wait. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires in you. This is his word and all God's people said, amen.